0: Well, you'll keep me, keep me up here today, at least, and I won't be able to come down among you. But uh, it's good to be back. Had a, had a great vacation and, uh, and enjoyed our time at the beach. But I always enjoy preaching, too, and I miss being here on Sundays with you. But uh, still continuing our same series, and, and Pastor Christy talked about Gideon last week, and we're going to talk about David this week, and, and really continue a, a similar concept. Our self-identity affects our ability to trust. What we think about ourselves affects whether we trust others. Uh, think about it. The relationships you have with other people, you, you, your ability to trust other people will be determined many times simply by your self-identity. Whether you feel like you should be loved, whether you feel like you should be forgiven, whether you feel like you matter, whether you, whether you feel like you should ha- have a significant part in someone else's life. Our ability to trust, is affected by our self-identity and that is our self-identity affects our ability to trust our heavenly father god as well not only does our self-identity uh, impact our ability to to trust other people in interpersonal relationships our ability to trust our, our self-identity will affect our ability to trust god as well L- last well um, oh, that's been several years ago now Dylan and i were in um in Chisek, Guatemala. And and one of the things we were doing there is we were we were working at schools. We we weren't working with we were working with the Nazarene Church in Chisek, but we were going particularly to the public schools and doing things for the public school. And so we we went to the school and and we painted and then we had a v- VBS for the kids. Mind you, this is a public school, and we're doing a, a vacation Bible school in, in this public school. And we, we in in Guatemala, and these, and it's I consider it a third world area. When you begin to give these kids little gifts, they get really excited. You can give them a Beanie Baby, and you you would think you had given them a, an Xbox 360. You know, they get really excited; they're really happy. And so we had the VBS, and we got all the, the, the kids something, and they were excited, and they were, you know, hugging us and so happy. And, and then the teachers, we had a lot of gifts for the teachers as well. And so uh, we began to give these gifts to the teachers, and they surprised us because they were completely reserved. Uh, the, you know, they, they would accept them, but, you know, not, not very friendly and not very receptive. And so we gave them our gifts, and then we prayed, and we started to get on the bus, and leave and their mood changed all of a sudden they became very emotional and they became very loving and very huggy and all this see, see they, they didn't believe that a white person from north america could care about them and so there wasn't a lot of trust that what we were giving them did not have something that was expected from them and when we were leaving and they began to realize that, that we were just giving out of the kindness of our hearts and, and, and we were trying to show the love of God, then their ability, their ability to trust, their, see their self-identity, how they saw themselves affected their ability to trust. So it's true in interpersonal relationships. It's it's hard to believe that someone loves you when you do not think you're lovable. It's hard to believe that that you can be forgiven when you don't believe that you are forgivable. It's hard to believe that you can be accepted when you feel you're you're unacceptable, and it's the same with God. In all these ways, our trust is affected by our self-identity. Psalm 8 is a psalm of David, and, and David says this, What is man? that you are mindful of him the 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 son of man that you care for him this is this is the psalmist david writes this and that the new century version says it like this god why are people even important to you so so that's the question of the day does does god care about me Does God care about us? Does God care about Marysville Church of the Nazarene? But more importantly, does God care about each individual person that's sitting here listening to my voice this morning? And Pastor Christie talked about Gideon, and I believe Gideon's issue dealt with his self-esteem and how he saw himself. And today we're going to talk about what others say about us. See, what others say about us shapes our sense of self and our self-identity. What people have spoken into your life for for these past several years shapes your self-identity, how you see yourself. You know, we can't trust everything that people say to us, and everybody should say amen. Uh, Several years ago, when I was in college, my father and I were, were out. There was a Ford plant in Connersville, I believe they make compressors, and so the Ford plant had like a big tent cell with, with I guess, they were selling Fords, I don't think they were selling Hondas, and, and so we went and looked at all these cars, and you know, we were really interested in buying, we were just kind of, anybody ever just go car shopping, just for the sake of car shopping, anybody in here? Okay, a few of you, so we were just out looking, and lo and behold, one of the salesmen was a guy that had been an intern with my dad, at my father's barber shop and for for about six months several years before that ten years before that Allen and so Allen saw my dad and I and thought well here are going to be some easy targets to sell a car and so he followed us all uh, all evening as we looked at cars and we had no intention of of, do you ever feel sorry for a salesman when you have no intention of buying And 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 I think we probably told him, you know, Alan, we're probably not going to buy a car, but you know, they think that's just use that that first no is just an opportunity for them to convince you to say yes. And so he followed us the whole time, and you could sense his urgency and desperation as he began to realize that Bob Mills was not going to buy a car from him on that day. And and so as we got close to the end, Alan turned to my dad, and and no lie, he worked with my dad for six months about 10 years previous, never did one social thing with him, never was at our house, you know, there was no social connection at all, and he turned to my dad and said, Bob, I want you to know that I've always considered you one of my closest friends. (laughs) It got really awkward really quick. You know, you can't trust what people say to you from time to time. It's the old joke about uh, lawyers, you know how you can tell a lawyer's lying? His lips are moving. <laughs> uh, you, you ever hear about the busload of politicians that, that were in a crash and, and they came to the crash scene and, and the farmer had, had buried them? I think it was Russ had buried them all. And, uh, and they said, You mean all of them were dead? And he goes, Well, some of them said they weren't, but you know how politicians lie. You know, we can't trust everything that people say to us. You know, we, y- you can't trust everything you hear on the news, whether it's on Fox or CNN, folks, okay? You understand that. You can't trust every advertisement. I, I am a, a sucker for late-night advertisements. Don't let me watch a late-night ad at 3 o'clock in the morning because I will buy what they're selling. Several years ago, I bought a steamer. It was a steam cleaner. You know what the steamer did? It pushed dirt from one side of the floor to the other side of the floor. You can't trust everything you hear. And, and those things that have been spoken into your life, some of them simply aren't true. And, and so I think it's important if what others say about us shapes our sense of self, we have some regulation, some regulator on, on what we hear and who we listen to. See, trust brings meaning to life because trust makes faith personal it means that that faith is not just our belief is not just something out there but but trust takes that belief and applies it to your life and and we're called to trust as believers one of the primary things we're called to do is trust God and and trust him with our life and and I believe that I trust God folks I believe as believers we're called to trust each other now trust is this fundamental element of the life of the believer and Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says it like this: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust God with your whole heart. You know that that's a big challenge for any of us but it's particularly a big challenge if we have trust issues if we do not believe that we matter if we do not believe that grace applies to us it's very difficult to trust and maybe this morning you're struggling with this very ideal does god care about me does does god really care about little insignificant me hear me he does God is concerned with every intimate detail of your life the very hairs on your head and some of them are less than others thanks for that hand Todd are numbered so what's been spoken into your life I when I practiced law we did social security disability and other kinds of disability. We also, it seemed like all of our clients had psychological profiles. I don't know why that was. Maybe that's why they picked us as their lawyers. I don't know. But, but I'd read these psychological profiles of people in their late 50s, early 60s, late 40s, and, and I, would, I, would, I was always amazed because they would talk about what a parent or a grandparent or, a, or an aunt or an uncle or, or someone significant to them said 20, 30, 40 years ago and, and it was still having can you hear me okay I, I i this is why i don't use mics like this because i forget sometimes in my head, okay it's very difficult for me to use a mic these psychological profiles would talk about things that have been spoken in their life many years ago and and maybe some of you are like that there's there's been significant people in your life grandparents and parents that have spoken into your life the ideal that you don't matter that you're not valuable, that God couldn't love you, that that you'll never amount to anything. I, I have been surrounded my whole life with godly men and women who've spoken value into my life. You know I, I I believe that that God can use me to minister not because I'm so special but because the people that surrounded me were so special and spoke love and significance into my life and and maybe you've been like that there's been people that have surrounded you your whole life and they and they've spoken value into you and, and and the ideal that God cares about you is is not a struggle today we're going to use the story of David and Goliath and you know it, it's a it's a familiar story and to be honest it could be a whole series. It, it doesn't have to be just one week but we're just going to talk one week about it. You know the, the story that the spirit of God had been on Saul and Samuel had sent um, God had sent Samuel to David to anoint him as the next king and so now God's spirit rested on David and and, and David's this shepherd boy. He's out tending flocks. He's He's 12, 13 years old probably because he's, his brothers are old enough to serve but he's not old enough to serve and, and so we find in, in 1 Samuel 17 we, we find the armies of Israel and the armies of the Philistines on two separate hills and there's a valley surrounding, uh, separating them and, and on one hill uh, the, the, the champion for the Philistines, Goliath stands and, and for 40 days he issues a challenge Uh, Morning and night, if anyone from Israel will come and defeat me, we will serve you. If I defeat them, you will serve us. And this is kind of a a common way of doing battle in in this age. And and so for 40 days, he issues this challenge, and no one from Israel responds. And and it's kind of interesting that no one responds because there's champions in the Israelite camp as well. Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else and was a champion. His son, Jonathan, was a champion, and yet no one was willing to respond to the giant's challenge, this big, scary dude. And and finally, here comes this shepherd, this 12- or 13-year-old shepherd boy, and verse 24 talks about how the Israelites, when they saw Goliath, they, they ran with him in great fear, But but David says... What will be done for the man who kills this Philistines and removes this disgrace from Israel? who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? in other words if if, if someone beats this giant what what will King Saul do and they say, well he'll get money, <laughs> he'll get uh, Micah, which is uh, Saul's daughter which is Probably a, not, not a good prize, as we find out later in Scripture. And no new taxes. And, and some of you are saying, I'll fight, no new taxes, okay? And, and so David asked this question, and, and David's oldest brother, Elib, says, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So so are some words that are being spoken into David's life, and they're not actually, they're they're not entirely affirmations, are they? In in essence, Elip says, get out of here, you arrogant little sheep boy. Uh, You you just want to watch. You just have a big big ego. You're not going to do anything about it. You're all smoke. Uh, You're all talk. Uh, All you are worthy of is out in the fields by yourself with a bunch of sheep. I love David's response because you see the brother in this response. David says, "Can I ask a question? <laughs> Anybody ever say that before? Can not I just ask the question?" Yes, you can. <laughs> so David's overheard uh, talking about this this giant, and 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 this conversation is somehow relayed to Saul. And I got to tell you, I'd like to see that conversation with Saul. Hey, Saul, we have a 13-year-old with a sling that we think may be our answer to this giant. (laughs) You know, Saul must be a little bit desperate because either Saul has an understanding of a Palestine shepherd and how deadly they can be with the sling, perhaps God's speaking to, to Saul's spirit, but for some reason... They decide that this is a good ideal and they bring this 12 or 13 year old boy to the king and say, hey, could could this be the answer? Then let's read together in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David said to Saul, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in front of him uh, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks?' And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This is why this is just a lovely children's story, that we, the first kid's story we teach them, right? This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of them into all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehand. The the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now now you see in this story several things. You, you, You see several people, Speaking words which were not encouraging to David. When we find Elab, his brother, saying, "You're arrogant. You're, you're all, you're all, you're all word, no action." We we, we find Saul saying, uh, "Thanks, but no thanks." Then we find Saul saying, "Okay, but you better use my armor." And, and I think it's significant to know people speak into our lives with more than words. And and some of you, it's not what people have said that it's affected your your self-value and your self-identity but it's what other people have done you know the, the church is a strange animal and, and and see i hear all these things and 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 sometimes our self-identity is shaped by someone not shaking our hand or acknowledging something we did and, and, and maybe this morning you're you're sitting here and, and you're waiting for someone to invite you to lunch, and, and, and somehow until that happens, you, you don't feel like you have value, and, and I think God's wanting us to have a better sense of value than it being determined on whether somebody shakes our hand, invites us to dinner, or even pats us on the back. Amen? See, there's more than words that are used to, to speak into our life, and, and, then, and then we find Saul, and, and Saul is, or, or Goliath, and he's basically calling David a dog. David did not let others affect his identity in God. Not his brother, not Saul, not Goliath. See, his sufficiency was found in being who he was in God. Now, now most people use this story as as our favorite underdog story. You know, David and Goliath is a, a sports metaphor. And so when, when, the, um, when the New York Jets beat the Colts in the third Super Bowl, it's David versus Goliath. And, and most people see this story as, 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 as a metaphor, as the, the lesser beating the, the bigger. I don't think this is an underdog story. See, see, David picks up five stones, not one stone. And and, and you've heard this before. Why, why does David pick up five stones? Does he, does he think he's going to miss four times? Or, or is he thinking about Goliath's four brothers or four sons, depending on your interpretation, that you see in 2 Samuel 21, 18 through 22? See, I think David didn't think he was going to kill one giant that day. I, thought David, I think David thought he was going to kill five giants that day. And so I don't think David saw himself as an underdog malcolm gladwell has a book called david and goliath and he's a a a contemporary writer and and he tells the story from a different light he says that the slingshot that david had see, see a palestine um shepherds with their slingshot were deadly and that little stone that David would throw from the sling would have the same velocity as a 45 bullet, <laughs> like shooting a handgun. David had a handgun in his hand when he approached the giant. And a Palestine shepherd was known for their deadly accuracy with the little sling. He was deadly. He was nimble and the Spirit of God had been placed on him. And then we have Goliath, who's this giant, and, and Gladwell kind of makes a, a pretty strong argument that perhaps the giant had some physical ailments that accounted for his size, that perhaps there was some glandular or hormonal problems, and, and, and this is why he was so large. And, and you don't find the giant doing a lot of movement, some slow movement towards a line, but you, you don't see a nimble giant. You see kind of a large target that was easy to hit and as a matter of fact for him to be effective he had to be close he he wasn't even carrying his own javelin his own shield instead he had a a someone that was carrying him for him and Gladwell says this shouldn't we think of someone who's nimble has every technological advantage and the spirit of the Lord is the favorite (laughs) see I don't think Goliath was the favorite here David was the favorite no one told David that he was the favorite, yet David knew deep down he was the favorite. He wasn't the underdog. See, see, David's trust was not shaped by what others thought or said about him. So it's the question for all of us. What or who is shaping your trust? Others? What, what they say, what they do? It, it, who, who's shaping your self-identity and it, you know who's shaping your ability to trust and, and I think about our media saturated world and you know what the our media tells us and, and 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 Laura I know you do marketing but you tell me if I'm wrong marketing one of the the concepts of marketing is to convince people of a need in their life so they'll buy a product right you know, so so we, we watch ads on TV, we watch television shows that, that tell us that we're lacking something, that we need something more, and and our identity is shaped by our media saturated world. I saw this summer a, a girl who had went through several surgeries. Did you did anybody see the girl that looks like Barbie? <laughs> I mean, she looks dead on like Barbie because in her in her life, meaning significance value, was shaped by what Barbie looks like. And, and folks, your kids and, and many of you sitting in this room have been beaten down by what our world says has meaning, what's significant, and and, and so your values based on body image or income levels or education levels or or positions, even positions in the church and. And God wants you to know he loves you right where you are and he has a plan for you right where you are. David understood this. See, see, love is the basis of trust. And David understood and accepted that God loved him just as he was. Can you accept that this morning, that God loves you just as you are right where you are? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your hearts, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, I love this verse. It says in verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him. Acknowledge God. What, what does it mean to acknowledge God? And, and when you get into this word, this is a relationship word. It's, it's not just knowing or mentioning or talking about, it is knowing God. You know, I don't just know about Terry. I know Terry. She's my wife. The Common English Bible says, know him in all your paths. (laughs) Wherever you find yourself this week, is it possible to know God, for the relationship to be that close that you know God wherever you are? I did a little reading this week, and I finished a book by Bob Goff called Love Does. Anybody read Love Does? I'm the only person that's read it. You need to read it. It's a great book. Bob Goff's a um, Christian lawyer, and actually he's an adjunct professor, professor at uh, Point Loma University and teaches business law. But, but Bob Goff said he stopped doing Bible studies. He's part of a Bible do group now. (laughs) He's tired of studying the Bible, but he wants to do what the Bible tells him to do. And he talks about people who are God's stalkers. We, We learn about God. We learn things about God. God doesn't want you to learn more about him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be engaged in a relationship with him. And so when when Proverbs talks about acknowledging God and knowing God, it's not just information, but it's that relational knowing God, hearing his voice. The message writer takes Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and says it like this. Listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. (laughs) See, that's the key. You know, there's all these voices out there, and, and, and some of the voices are good, and some of the voices are bad, and some of the voices are positive, and some of the voices are negative, but there's all sorts of voices out there speaking as to your identity, your value, what's important, what's meaningful, and God wants us to hear His voice. And so trusting God is connected to listening to God, hearing God's voice. What what shaped David's trust. Why, why could David see himself differently than others saw him? Why Why? Why did everyone else see an underdog but David see himself differently? See, he knew God, and he had truly listened to God. You know, I, I love Psalm 8, and, and we talked about it, and, you know, David asked this question, great question you know who is man that that you are mindful of him and and and, and I believe that's in the solitude of the of the pasture with the sheep when David is all alone and and he's speaking these thoughts who am I that you even think about me that David truly heard the voice of God that said but I see you David <laughs> and maybe that's the answer for us maybe it's getting away from all the business of life and all the the voices around us and truly trying to hear our father's voice we've been tracking with Jesus on the cross and and Jesus on the cross says father i place my life in your hands and and what i love about the story of the of Jesus is is how often, time, how often God had spoken in an audible voice for others to hear, which I think was just an indication that Jesus was hearing this all along. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Th- this is my son. Listen to him. In other words, Jesus could trust God. He knew God loved him because he had heard his voice. So what's God calling you to do? Where's your trust? What's God asking you to do? And, and, And maybe it's something that you feel like an underdog and but but what if Gladwell's statement's true and for where you are, sh- should not you think of yourself as as having every advantage since the Spirit of the Lord is on you and you have every technological advantage? You have the advantage of church and the Bible, all the advantages you have, and God's calling you. Maybe this thing God's calling you to is not something that makes you an underdog, but but the issue is not your strength, but your listening. You know, Sunday morning's a training ground and and I'm going to ask Vicky to come and, and just play softly because our altars are always available. But we're going to spend a few moments listening this morning because, see, I believe Sunday morning service should be training for the week. Um, who will you be listening to this week? What voices? All heads bowed, all eyes closed. When you get in the car... What station will we be playing? What kind of music? When you get home today, will you ever just spend any time just listening for the voice of God, or will the TV come right on? What person will you allow to speak your value? See, I'm convinced in our world, people aren't listening at least not to god because our we're filling our life with so much noise that we can't hear him so we're just going to be pause for three or four minutes and i want you to listen for god if you want to come to the altar our altars are always available for you but i just want you to listen for god right now right here and then i'm going to close this in prayer Heavenly Father um, in this moment we want to hear your voice and Lord I, I believe that in a room this size there's people you're calling maybe it's as simple as calling to to allow you to forgive them and enter into relationship but Lord others have spoken to their life that they don't matter That their sins are too big. And Lord, they just can't trust anyone. Lord, right now we're praying that your spirit will speak into their life. Lord, that they'll see that um, you love them so much. That at the end of judgment... At the end of conviction, there's the possibility of forgiveness and new life and wholeness and relationship with our heavenly Father. Maybe you're calling them someone to serve and or to give and or to go and and Lord, it just seems like it's too big for them and they feel like an underdog. Lord, give us the spirit of David. Give us the ears of David that we can clearly hear your voice. If God is for us, who can be against us? So Lord, may we um, with boldness accept the challenges that you place in our life. Whether it seems large to, to to everyone or not, maybe it seems like a small thing, Lord, but in those small things, oftentimes you do awesome, unbelievable, God things. So, Lord, I'm praying for um, trust without borders, trust that's not hemmed in by by what we we don't know and and Lord that 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 it's a trust that's based on how much you love us Lord, that our our trust is not hemmed in by our self-identity what what we think about ourselves Lord or, or it's not not bordered and 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 decreased because of what others have spoken into our life Lord but Lord we've listened for your voice help us now Lord as we serve you to do everything that we can to bring glory to your name. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll be with this congregation, and, Lord, you'll fill in the gaps that this humble preacher has left, Lord, that your spirit will, will move in ways that uh, go beyond what, what I can do and what I can say. And, and, Lord, you'll take these words and use them in the life of your people. Thank you, Lord for your mercy and your goodness. And Lord, thank you for inviting us to be part of the greatest mission, the the greatest plan that any of us could participate in, the, the, the kingdom of God, the mission of God in our world. In Jesus' name.